0: Genesis chapter 33. Now Jacob looked up and saw Esau coming toward him with 400 men. So he divided the children among Leah, Rachel, and the two female slaves. He put the female slaves and their children first, Leah and her children next, and Rachel and Joseph last. He himself went on ahead and bowed to the ground seven times until he approached his brother. But Esau ran to meet him, hugged him, threw his arms around him and kissed him. Then they wept. When Esau looked up and saw the women and children, he asked, Who are these with you? He answered, The children God has graciously given your servant. Then the female slaves and their children approached him and bowed down. Leah and her children also approached and bowed down. And then Joseph and Rachel approached and bowed down. So Esau said, What do you mean by this whole procession I met? To find favor with you, my lord, he answered. I have enough, my brother, Esau replied. Keep what you have. But Jacob said, No, please, I, if I have found favor with you, take this gift from my hand. For indeed, I have seen your face, and it is like seeing God's face. Since you have accepted me, please take my present that was brought to you because God has been gracious to me and I have everything I need. So Jacob urged him until he accepted. Then Esau said, let's move on and I'll go ahead of you. Jacob replied, My Lord knows that the children are weak, and I have nursing sheep and cattle. If they are driven hard for one day, the whole herd will die. Let my Lord go ahead of his servant. I will continue on slowly at a pace suited to the livestock and the children until I come to my Lord at Seir. Esau said, let me leave some of my people with you. But he replied, why do that? Please indulge me, my Lord. That day Esau started on his way back to Seir. But Jacob went on to Succoth. He built a house for himself and stalls for his livestock. That is why the place was called Sakath. After Jacob came from Paddan Aram, he arrived safely at Shechem in the land of Canaan and camped in front of the city. He purchased a section of the field where he had pitched his tent from the sons of Hamor, Shechem's father, for a hundred Kesitas, And he set up an altar there and called it God, the God of Israel. Mark, the gospel according to Mark. Chapter 4. Mark, chapter 4. Again, he began to teach by the sea, and a very large crowd gathered around him. So he got into a boat on the sea and sat down, while the whole crowd was on the shore facing the the sea. He taught them many things in parables, and in his teaching he said to them, listen, consider the sower who went out to sow. As he sowed, this occurred. Some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Other seed fell on rocky ground where it didn't have much soil, and it sprang up right away, since it didn't have deep soil. When the sun came up, it was scorched, and since it didn't have a root, it withered. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns came up and choked it, and it didn't produce a crop. Still others fell on good ground and produced a crop that increased thirty, sixty, and a hundred times what was sown. Then he said, anyone who has ears to hear should listen. When he was alone with the twelve, those who were around him asked him about the parables. He answered them. The secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you. But to those outside, everything comes in parables. So that they may look and look, yet not perceive. They may listen and listen, yet not understand. Otherwise, they might turn back and be forgiven. Then he said to them, don't you understand this parable? How then will you understand any of the parables? The sower sows the word. These are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, immediately Satan comes and takes the word sown in them. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground. When they hear the word, immediately they receive it with joy. But, but they have no root in themselves. They are short-lived. When pressure or persecution comes because of the word, they immediately stumble Others are sown among thorns. These are the ones who hear the word. But the worries of this age, the seduction of wealth, and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. But the ones sown on good ground are those who hear the word, welcome it, and produce a crop, 30, 60, and 100 times what was sown. He also said to them, Is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed? Isn't it to be put on a lampstand? For nothing is concealed except to be revealed, and nothing hidden except to come to light. If anyone has ears to hear, he should listen. Then he said to them, pay attention to what you hear. By the measure you use, it will be measured and added to you. For to the one who has, it will be given. And from the one who does not have, even what he has will be taken away. The kingdom of God is like this, he said. A man scatters seed on the ground. He sleeps. And rises night and day and the seed sprouts and grows. He doesn't know how. The soil produces a crop by itself. First the blade, then the head, and then the ripe grain on the head. But as soon as the crop is ready, he sends for the sickle because the harvest has come. And he said, how can we illustrate the kingdom of God or what parable can we use to describe it? It's like a mustard seed that, when sown in the soil, is smaller than all the seeds of the ground. And when sown, it comes up and grows taller than all the vegetables, and produces large branches, so that the birds of the sky can nest in its shade. He would speak the word to them with many parables like these, as they were able to understand. And he did not speak to them without a parable. Privately, however, he would explain everything to his own disciples. On that day, when evening had come, he told them, let's cross over to the other side of the sea. So they left the crowd and took him along since he was already in the boat and other boats were with him. A fierce windstorm arose and the waves were breaking over the boat so that the boat was already being swamped. But he was in the stern, sleeping on the cushion. So they woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care that we are going to die? He got up, rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Silence be still. The wind ceased, and there was a great calm. Then he said to them, why are you fearful? Do you still have no faith? And they were terrified and asked one another, who then is this? Even the wind and the sea obey him. Esther, chapters 9 and 10. The King's Command and Law, Esther, chapter 9 and 10. The King's Command and Law went into effect on the 13th day of the 12th month, the month Adar. On the day when the Jews' enemies had hoped to overpower them, just the opposite happened. The Jews overpowered those who hated them. In each of King Ahasuerus' provinces, the Jews assembled in their cities to attack those who intended to harm them. Not a single person could withstand them. Terror on them fell on every nationality. All the officials of the provinces, the satraps, the governors, and the royal civil administrators aided the Jews because they were afraid of Mordecai. For Mordecai exercised great power in the palace, and his fame spread throughout the provinces as he became more and more powerful. The Jews put all their enemies to the sword, killing and destroying them. They did what they pleased to those who hated them. In the fortress of Susa, the Jews killed and destroyed 500 men, including Parshendatha, Delphon, Aspatha, Poratha, Alalia, Aradatha, Parmashtha, Arisei, Aridiai, and Vizatha. They killed these 10 sons of Haman, son of haman Detha, the enemy of the Jews. However, they did not seize any plunder. On that day, the number of people killed in the fortress of Susa was reported to the king. The king said to Queen Esther, In the fortress of Susa, the Jews have killed and destroyed 500 men, including Haman's 10 sons. What have they done in the rest of the royal provinces? Whatever you ask will be given to you. Whatever you seek will be done. Esther answered, If it pleases the son, the king, may the Jews who are in Susa also have tomorrow. to carry out today's law, and may the bodies of Haman's ten sons be hung on the gallows. The king gave the orders for this to be done, so a law was announced in Susa, and they hung the bodies of Haman's ten sons. The Jews in Susa assembled again on the fourteenth day of the month of Adar, and killed three hundred men in Susa, but they did not seize any plunder. The rest of the Jews in the royal provinces assembled, defended themselves, and got rid of their enemies. They killed 75,000 of those who hated them, but they did not seize any plunder. They fought on the thirteenth day of the month of Adar and rested on the fourteenth, and it became a day of feasting and rejoicing. But the Jews in Susa had assembled on the thirteenth and the fourteenth day of the month. They rested on the fifteenth day of the month, and it became a day of feasting feasting, and rejoicing. This explains why the rural Jews who live in villages observe the 14th day of the month of Adar as a time of rejoicing and feasting. It is a holiday when they send gifts to one another. Mordecai recorded these events and sent letters to all the Jews in all of King Ahazursa's provinces, both near and far. He ordered them to celebrate the 14th and 15th days of the month Adar every year, because during those days, the Jews got rid of their enemies. That was the month when their sorrow was turned into rejoicing and their mourning into a holiday. They were to be days of feasting, rejoicing, and of sending gifts to one another in the poor. So the Jews agreed to continue the practice they had begun as Mordecai had written them to do. For Haman, son of Hammedatha the Agagite, the enemy of all the Jews, had plotted against the Jews to destroy them, he cast the purr, that is the lot, to crush and destroy them. But when the matter was brought before the king, he commanded by letter that the evil plan Haman had devised against the Jews return on his own head and that he should be hanged with his son's on the gallows. For this reason, these days are called Purim, from the word Pur, because of all the instructions in this letter, as well as what they had witnessed and what had happened to them. The Jews bound themselves, their descendants, and all who joined with them to a commitment that they would not fail to celebrate these two days each and every year according to the written instructions and according to the time appointed. These days are remembered and celebrated by every generation, family, province, and city, so that these days of Purim will not lose their significance in Jewish life and their memory will not fade from their descendants. Queen Esther, daughter of Abba Hale, along with Mordecai the Jew, wrote the second letter with full authority to confirm the letter about Purim. He sent letters with messages of peace and faithfulness. to all the Jews who were in the 127 provinces of the kingdom of Ahasuerus, in order to confirm these days of Purim in their proper time, just as Mordecai the Jew and Queen Esther had established them, and just as they had committed themselves and their descendants to the practices of fasting and lamentation. So Esther's command confirmed these customs of Purim, which were then written into the record. Chapter 10. Esther, chapter 10. Then... Ahasuerus imposed attacks throughout the land to the farthest shores. All of his powerful and magnificent accomplishment and the detailed account of Mordecai's great rank to which the king had honored him, have they not been written in the historical records of the kings of Media and Persia? Mordecai the Jew was second only to King Ahasuerus, famous among the Jews and highly popular with many of his relatives. He continued to seek good for his people and to speak for the welfare of all his descendants. Romans, chapter 4. What then, what then can we say that Abraham, our physical ancestor, has found? If Abraham was justified by works, he has something to brag about. But not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him for righteousness. Now, to the one who works, pay is not considered as a gift, but as something owed. But to the one who does not work, but believes on him, who declares the ungodly to be righteous, his faith is credited for righteousness. Likewise, David also speaks of the blessing of the man God credits righteousness to apart from works. How joyful are those Whose lawless acts are forgiven, and whose sins are covered. How joyful is the man, the Lord will never charge with sin. Is this blessing only for the circumcised then? Or is it also for the uncircumcised? For we say, faith was credited to Abraham for righteousness. In what way then was it credited while he was circumcised or uncircumcised? Not while he was circumcised, but uncircumcised. And he received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while still Uncircumcised. This was to make him the father of all who believe but are not circumcised, so that righteousness may be credited to them also. And he became the father of the circumcised, who are not only circumcised but who also follow in the footsteps of the faith our father Abraham had while he was still circumcised. For the promise to Abraham or to his descendants that he would inherit the world was not through the law, but through the righteousness that comes by faith. If those who are of the law are heirs, faith is made empty and promises are canceled. If those who are of the law are heirs, faith is made empty and the promise is canceled. For the law produces wrath, and where there is no law, there is no transgression this is why the promise is by faith so that it may be according to grace to guarantee it to all the descendants not only to those who are of the law but also to those who are of Abraham's He is the Father of us all in God's sight, as it is written, I have made you the Father of many nations. He believed in God who gives life to the dead and calls all things into existence that do not exist. He believed hoping. against hope, so that he became the father of many nations, according to what had been spoken, so will your descendants be. He considered his own body to be already dead, since he was about a hundred years old, and also considered the deadness of Sarah's womb. Without weakening in the faith, he did not waver in unbelief at God's promise, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God because he was fully convinced that what he had promised, he was also able to perform. Therefore, it was credited to him for righteousness. Now it was credited to him, was not written for Abraham alone, but also for us. It will be, Credited to us who believe in him, who raised Jesus, our Lord, from the dead. He was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. He was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification.